0: Hey, Peter, good to speak to you. I thought this would be a good opportunity to run through uh, the leadership race, the, the cabinet. I mean, there's a lot for us to dig into. I want to start with who you went for in the leadership race. Now, I, I know who you did, uh, but I, I'm, I'm sure our listeners will be interested.
1: Yeah. So I have to admit, I didn't vote for either of them. I was one of the 600 odd people who sent back a spoiled ballot paper. Um, to kind of just give you a bit of background, I hate conservative leadership contests. I think they bring out the worst in in conservatives. I think they bring out the worst in the conservative party. I think they bring out the worst in politicians. I generally despise them. I think they're awful. Um, and it really annoyed me, actually, that we're having I Don't get me wrong. In my opinion, Boris Johnson had to go. But it's annoyed me that we've had to have one, particularly over summer recess. Because usually I kind of unplug over summer recess. It usually take a nice two months of just kind of pulling away from kind of the kind of furore of politics and all the rest of it. And um, then they go and decide to have a leadership race. And then they go and have a leadership race with two of the worst candidates I think I've come across in a long time. Now, I'll be very open and honest. the the candidate I wanted was Penny Mordon. I oh, thought she yeah. would have been a brilliant prime minister and a brilliant leader of the Conservatives. Now I accept that she didn't get through the system. And she didn't get through the votes and all the rest of it. And we were left with Liz and Rishi. My problem with those two is, you know, let's just say they're not going to be the life and soul of the party, are they? <laughs> they're not really they're not really the kind of characters that I think we needed. Um, but obviously, Liz won, in the, won in, the, in the end. And I think it was somewhat of a foregone conclusion. Um that's also one of my big criticisms of all of this was as, as soon as Rishi made it to the final two, whoever Rishi was against was definitely going to win. Yeah. So, I, again, I don't think we had a proper election. I think we had another coronation, in my opinion. I think it was a lot closer, the vote, than most people were kind of expecting. But for me, it was roughly it was roughly where I thought it would be. Um, for the record, I also didn't vote for Boris or Jeremy either. So I, I have I a track record of not voting for Conservative <laughs> Leadership candidates. Um, I, I For me, I don't negative vote. So I don't vote for one person because I don't like the other one. I always try to find a positive reason to vote for someone. And neither of those two candidates, in my opinion, did enough to convince me that they were worth voting for. Now, I, people are entitled to disagree with me and everybody's got who they support and all the rest of it. But we are where we are. And Liz became leader and, and now she's Prime Minister. And... I tell you what, she's got the most unenviable job in the country right now. I can't think of a worse job I would want right now than to be prime minister. The amount that she's got on her plate to deal with, I think, is absolutely incredible. I can't think, and I was talking to a couple of colleagues about this, of, a, of another prime minister who's really come in at such a bad time. Maybe John Major after Thatcher, but I really, or maybe Thatcher after Jim Callaghan maybe one of those two but i can't like just with the amount of that they've got to deal with and i just and, and realistically what is a very short amount of time to turn it around in because we're not that far away from a general election though everybody has to cross themselves when you say general election in westminster these days mm-hmm. just in case liz does something stupid and decides to call an early one but uh <laughs> yeah it's been um been a bit of a crazy ride really uh these last couple of months um I, th- I do think the leadership election went on too long um I think it became a bit of a na- naval gazing exercise towards the end um and yeah I just like I said I'm not a big fan of them so and I'm just annoyed that I had to deal with it over summer but like 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 we said we are where we are and um we obviously I'm a conservative and um I've stand behind my leader and all the rest of it and i i hope she i hope she does a brilliant job and I she's got my full-throated support now but um it doesn't mean that i don't have my criticisms of her
0: <laughs> I, i'm the same as you i i really don't like leadership racist at all like uh I bit different to you i wanted boris to actually stay i, I went wanted- oh yeah really that surprises oh, me actually i i really was uh and it was one of the main reasons i it's up there, it's funny when you said the negative only, it's up there, the main reason why I was not going to vote Rishi Sunak was the I see him as the, I think Boris was already on the, you know, he was going to obviously sooner or later have to resign but, yeah. was but I just felt really anger and bitter towards him being the one to Really? Kind of now him.
1: this does surprise me You are full of surprises today
0: Sunil <laughs> <laughs> you Well, know, it's just, you know what it is, I was a Boris sceptic when Theresa May resigned yeah, and when it was the the leadership race, but in the end, I did go for him. I went for I voted for Boris on two main reasons. I felt he's much more likely to win an election. I vote very uh, that one was very pragmatic. Yeah. I just thought he's more likely to win a bigger uh, election and just to get Brexit over and done with. Yeah, I just didn't feel Hunt had the capacity to do those two things. So yeah. I went for Boris on that uh, understanding and. I just don't. I'll be honest. I'm not a fan of the um, the prime minister finishing, not finishing their term. The reason yeah. being, it's just I just like somebody said this to me. I think it's maybe a fair comment, which is, Rishi was a bit like the people's populist, and Liz is a bit like the Tory populist in terms of that's
1: that's what, not a that's not a bad description of those two actually. I think she, well, I actually I, one of my criticisms of Liz during the um, leadership election was. The, the way that she styled herself as the new Margaret Thatcher. Well, I always I, I always don't like, I don't like the idea that um, old policies for new problems, um, that kind of thing. Like, we don't need reheated Thatcherism. I think we needed something new.
0: I totally um, agree with you. I, I just think that's my problem with the leadership races, right? Because it's just, yeah. and when you don't finish your terms, I, I don't see how we're never not going to get a populist in this kind of environment, if you see what yeah. I mean. But, you know, if, that's why I wanted Boris to either lose the next election or less majority or whatever. We change. I I felt he deserved that opportunity, so I I, I really didn't want him to go. I was very sad that he did, and um, I was one of the yeah. I feel like maybe I was, I probably was the main one the minority for mm. Boris to stay, but um. After so that, I had,
1: I think I think it's an interesting, but I never really thought of it in that way about him staying to give him the chance to finish what he started I, th- I think i think that's a really fair comment actually and i do agree with you i do i don't like it when politicians walk out part way through mm-hmm. i know i know he was kind of a little bit pushed and you know he had, he had all the partygate scandals and then he had the chris pincher scandal and all the rest of it so like there were other mitigating factors but i do i do think you're right i don't like it when they hop skip and jump out i, d- I don't think that's right um but yeah, I, um, you are right. I d- we were always going to end up with a populist because it's a leadership election. So
0: whoever is the most popular wins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think yeah. She played um, it well, right? She went for the. And I think Boris did the same thing when he did it, which was like, go for the. They almost were went for the. I think where maybe Rishi got it wrong, uh, interesting your take is, I think he almost played for the general public, especially at the start. Like he was trying to win the. Whereas I felt Liz just was, I need my. You know, she went for the. She went to win a Tory race, whereas I think Rishi was almost playing a different game. Which
1: yeah, I completely agree with you on that. And I think I made this exact same point on one of my appearances on GB News. I think Rishi's problem was he went to run as a prime minister first. Yeah. And he kind of forgot that, oh, wait, I've got to talk to died in the wall Tory members who like small state tax cuts and things like that. I, I think I think his campaign, I will be probably studied as how not to win a Tory election mm. one day. Um, at least Jeremy Hunt went under his campaign, even though he lost, I think he ran a very, very good campaign. Um, I Rishi, in my opinion, didn't. I think he made far too many mistakes early on. I, I struggled with him, whether one of his kind of narrative lines was um, that somehow everything wasn't his fault. That you know, yeah. when it came to the economy, it, it it's really difficult to say, I'm gonna reset the economy when you were the guy running the economy for the last three, couple of years. That I I think that just wasn't just wasn't washing with pretty much anyone. And even some of the, the Rishi supporters I know, even they were saying, like, he needs to stop saying that. Like mm-hmm. that uh, that line of also him saying that he was a tax cutting chancellor, he needed to stop saying that as well. Mm-hmm. I think he just undermined a lot of his kind of integrity. Um uh, particularly when it came to at least wavering voters, because there were a lot of people right up to the very end, I, d- I will admit, they, who I spoke with, who were saying, I still don't know. Mm. You know, because I think because neither Liz nor Rishi were very popular with the membership early on, I think um, they were a lot, of, a lot of average members were like, oh, I don't really know between these two. So it, in a way, there was a bit of an election fight, but I think a lot of people were kind of just Holding the nose and voting for the least worst option, and I, I think, and I think that's just a terrible way to run an election. But yeah. um, one thing that I am, one thing I do want to see is uh, is how when we, if we ever do get to have a conversation about how we change how we vote for our leader, I think we need how three. How would
0: you like to do it? What would be your so, ideal way of doing it?
1: So I think it's fine to let the MPs have a choice, but instead of it being a final two, it should be a final three, because I think you then stop. The kind of, oh, I don't like that one, so I'm going to vote for that one. And you stop them, at least to a degree, you stop it becoming a coronation. I mean, if you make it a three-way fight, I think at least there are three different voices. It's not just the two mm-hmm. over battling off. I get, I get why it's the two, because it's supposed to be quicker, it's supposed to be, you know, and, and all the rest of it. I, I understand that logically, but our politics has changed so much, our party has changed so much. And it just seems that the way that we do it is a little antiquated. It does need a bit of up- updating. Um, But the one thing I would like to see is, and I, I don't know whether people will agree with me on this, but I'd like to see the role of party chairman be a directly elected role by the membership, not a not a, not a it's position pointed by the prime minister. Because I think the membership needs a voice and I... Because I've spoke spoke to loads of Conservative MPs about this, and they and, and it doesn't make me laugh about when they say, "Well, what's the point in being a member?" For, luckily, over the last couple of years, we've got we've got to choose to choose the Prime Minister, so that's you know we do get we've had we've had that responsibility and that and that great opportunity. But other than that, what oh, you get to go to party conference? What really is the point? We don't really have that much of a say in policy in reality, yeah, we've got Conservative Policy Forum and so whatever, but that's not really taken that seriously by the by the higher-ups. But, you know, I think if we had a, a voice um, within the Cabinet but and done that through the party leader, um, and I, I think anybody should be able to allow to put themselves forward, so it could be just a normal member, it could be an MP, it could be anybody, I think at least we'd have a voice there and somebody to say, well, wait a minute, the membership wants some people to focus on this bit. Like want the party to focus on this bit of policy or focusing this way. And and I just think it would be a good way of keeping the membership involved because the greatest asset to the Conservative Party, despite what many people say, is actually its membership when it comes to election time. The reason the conservatives have one of the best ground, what's known as the ground game, is, is because it has a very dedicated member. So we don't, we're not the biggest political party in the country, but our members actually do go out we do knock on doors we do yeah. canvass we do all of that and i think the more the the divide between the the what i call the institutions of the of the party so like the, the mp's cchq and, and people like that and the membership that as more of that starts to grow and it is growing i think the, the the institutions of the party are going to find themselves a little unstuck when it comes to election time and there's no one willing to canvas for them there's no one willing to actually do that work because they'll be like well what's the point we do this for you then you go then you turn around and you do something completely different that we don't agree with mm. I, I think the conservative party if they're not careful are, are heading towards a little bit of an internal civil war
0: mm-hmm. about
1: the divide between what the party wants what and what more what the uh, membership wants and i i think that tension is is growing and i think the last leadership election, I think, has really shown it. Particularly when Richard Sunak flew through the kind of MPs vote, but has struggled with the membership vote. Uh, it's in certain very early on, um, and I, I, yeah, I, I think there's some people in CCHQ need to wake up to this fact before it before it's too late. For being honest, but uh, I, sometimes I'm being called out a little bit too um, pessimistic. But <laughs> unfortunately, I have this horrible. Um, affliction where I end up being right a lot of the time and on this one I really don't want to be right
0: (laughs) I I think that um I would definitely agree with voting in the like any MP throws a hat into the party chairman I think that's a really good idea and they can decide and be representative and maybe it happens fairly often probably that race maybe every two years well I
1: was thinking you could have it as a you can have it as a maximum two terms and you get and you're in power for three years two three year terms something like that and then because then also you you don't end up with somebody who's holding the position for years yeah who would then it isn't reflective of the current membership so the position can change as the membership changes so you know if we suddenly become a little bit more of a Cameronite membership or whatever you know we I think well we will then have somebody who represents the membership in that majority um but yeah i, I it's just I think one thing that annoyed me about the Uh, the the last two leadership elections is because we've been in power, we've been voting for a prime minister
0: and Mm. they've been
1: dominated by two big issues, obviously Brexit and the cost of living crisis. We've not really talked about the fact that we've elected the leader of the conservative party. Mm. That's kind of been on the back burner for a bit too long. And I think some of the issues are starting to creep in now. Um, And unless, like I said, unless we start to really get to grips with them and really start to tackle them um, and at least have a conversation about them, uh, I think I think we're in for a little bit of a, a hurtful time. But um, like I said, we'll just have to wait and see. Definitely. Well,
0: let's go on to Cabinet. Um, obviously, Liz has appointed her, her Cabinet, her, her team in place. Um, there's a couple of people who obviously brand leadership races themselves. Um, interest to get your take on it. I, I was talking to someone about the Cabinet in general um, the other day, and i always find it very strange uh, maybe it's my finance head creeping in but how you have people who jump from different roles so you have someone know, it's uh, a justice secretary then goes to trade or something I, I never really understood that i always presumed and thought especially growing up i always presumed you if you're the health secretary for example you've got a bit of a health background if you're in business and energy so so i i've never that's always been my bit of issue with the, the cabinet in whether it's Tory, Labour, whatever. I've I never really understood the, uh, why you'd bring someone who doesn't have necessary expertise or history or some sort of relevant experience. It just seems a bit strange to me. You, oh, I, I completely
1: agree with you. I mean, I've always found it strange that, you know, when people jump from department to department, like, how, how on earth can you go from being the defence secretary to being the justice secretary or something? Like, it mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense to me that I will agree with, but the, as as you kind of like, because I'm in and around Westminster and the political system a lot, you start to learn that most cabinet appointments are about balancing power, and it's about balancing your rivals if you're well, your primary is about your rivals, but also promoting talent and also most importantly nurturing the next generation through. So I tend not to really look at who's in cabinet, but I look at more ministerial appointments. I look at who were the next people coming through. So the one thing I will always give um, Ian Duncan Smith when he was leader was he was the one that really brought Cameron through and Osborne through because he really took a great role in his when he put together his entire government about making sure there was the talent was fed through. And we've not really been very good at that over the last few years with a few exceptions. I think Kemi Bandanok is a great example of uh, developing talent and skills and all the rest of it. But yeah, I have to admit, when you when you put it together, your main cabinet, you've got to balance your rivals. You have then got to have, you know, the big figures, the big names, some heavy hitters. But then you've also got to have those people that carry weight within the party as well. So certain figures will be able to carry MPs with them into difficult votes, and will be able to kind of temper certain rivalries and all the rest of it. It's it's not an easy thing putting a cabinet together. It's really not, and um, I, I think. Liz has put together, I think, a very interesting cabinet. Um, and there are some interesting names in there that I didn't expect to see. Uh, and also... In
0: a, what ones particularly? Oh,
1: I, uh, off the top of my head, um, quasi. I have to admit, I get it. They have a long personal relationship and all the rest of it. But um, I've never been a quasi-quatang fan. I'm gonna. I'm throwing it out that I think. I think it was a bit of a disappointment in the last. Um, last government under Boris. uh, I look at really where we are in the economy wise and I don't think it's just the Chancellor that's to blame. I think the business department has a lot to answer for and particularly the energy department. Granted he wasn't there for a long time but he's been in successive cabinets and successive governments and I kind of look at his record and I'm like really? Is that who you want as your number two? Because I'm like once I do agree with him in principle and in ideology. I do kind of look at politicians now as, as a kind of well, what have you actually achieved? Mm. And I'm really struggling to put my finger on something that Quasi has actually achieved. Um, And I might be wrong on that. And again, some people may disagree with me. But for me, the Chancellor, what he's got on his plate is a much more of a kind of you've got to do something, not just talk about something. And I don't really see what Quasi has been doing over the last couple of years to to warrant having what is really the second most powerful job in the cabinet and yeah i know a lot of people i get into trouble having this opinion i I won't i won't lie on twitter in particular but um yeah but then there are some great appointments i think james cleverly as foreign secretary i think i I think that's a genius appointment i'm a big fan of james cleverly i've known him for a long time um i was actually um i was actually in parliament when liz was putting the cabinet together she was doing it um from uh, from our office in in Parliament and James came into an event I was at and like, I went over and congratulated him and uh, he was over the moon and uh, I think everybody was for him, actually. But, um, yeah, there's another couple of, like, Kemi has now got a decent role at DCMS. Um, Amarita Trevelyan I'm a big fan of Amarita Trevelyan actually. I think it's nice to see her still in role. Keeping Ben Wallace in place, I think, was a genius move. Um, but, yeah, I think overall, I think the cabinet is in a very strong position. But, again... The Conservatives to really win the next election, and that's what this next year, year in a bit, is going to be about. Is about doing something. The Conservatives have to do something, and they have to be able to point at something in the next election say, we, we did that, we made your life better by doing this. But the cost of living crisis is going to be a big rhetoric game for the left, and for the Labour Party in particular. It's going to be basically the rerun of kind of 2015, the austerity kind of Tories don't care about poor people, that kind of stuff. That's where I expect it to be. So for the Tories, I think the way to combat that is to say, like, look, you're all talk. Look what we were able to do. And I, I think that's what they really have to hammer home. And whether they're going to have enough time to do it, I think they, I think it's possible. Uh, but they've really got to get things moving. Um And particularly when it comes to energy bills um, and things like that, because it's only getting worse. It's only getting worse. (laughs) I mean, look at the rate of inflation at the minute. I mean, it's eye-watering. It's actually eye-watering. Looking at Um,
0: energy, I I found that one interesting, uh, the business energy um, industry uh, secretary in in Jacob Rees-Mogg. I didn't, I I thought he might get a role in cabinet, but um, I I wasn't sure if they would give him that role, especially because... Uh, well he is known to be pro fracking which to be fair i i'm definitely open for having but I'm, I'm interested i was surprised to see that he got that role was that were you also surprised or you, uh, you know? i knew
1: he'd get something he had because again it's about keeping the party faithful happy it's about keeping that wing of the party happy i think i knew he'd get something i have to admit i was surprised when he ended up at business but um and where else he would go i'd I wasn't really sure, but um, there was rumours that he would end up being chief secretary to the treasury, uh, which would have been an interesting position for him. Um, but in a way, I don't think it's necessarily a bad no, uh, yeah. position. I think he could do quite well at it. Um, but again, it's the business department is one thing that's really important in that role is industrial strategy as well. So it's not just about fostering businesses or the rest of it. It's what are we actually doing with the economy? Where, where, where do we want it to go, basically? And that's, we've missed that kind of direction. So I really want Jacob rees Morgan and to work with the other people in the treasury and all the rest of it, to really give us a path about where we go, because obviously we're a financial services, you'll know this as a finance guy better than better than me. But what, what, what else have we got in the UK? What, what else can we foster? What else, what other regions of industry can we really cement some kind of support structure and what, what bits are we failing in, you know, and actually really get to grips with this stuff? Because I think it's this lack of direction that has kind of killed a lot of growth is because, well, we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> like, we're just kind of getting through the day. And I think for too long, that's been the kind of, the kind of MO of, of the business department and of the Treasury. So I think that's, that's one thing I'm really looking at um, Jacob to kind of get a to get a grip on, but um, no, like it was. I have to admit, I, everyone sat, you know, Obviously, every political in Westminster has been glued to the phone for the last uh, last two weeks, three weeks or so. And um, I remember seeing Jacob respond and everyone went, "Really?" <laughs> there was a kind of high pitched kind of um, uh, <laughs> inflection going, "Really?" Because <laughs> uh, everyone there were so many rumors that were flying around about what position he was going to get. Um, the most interesting one I uh, position, and just to mention really quickly, was uh, Chris Heaton Harris to Northern Ireland. Um, but I was with Ian Paisley MP um, again in, in Parliament. He was at the event I was at, and I tell you what, he was over the moon, absolutely over the moon with the appointment of Chris Heaton Harris. And I, I asked him why, and he, he, he was talking about you know he's very—he's um, very sympathetic to their arguments and stuff. So obviously his his camp are very happy, but right. um. No. And that there's, it's, it was a re- it's a really big, important position that he's taken, that uh, Chris has taken on now because Northern Ireland is, a, is one of these issues that is kind of on it. It's kind of, it needs tackling, it needs dealing with. And it was also one of the reasons that I, um, I think I looked just to who was the justice secretary and who um, the attorney general was going to be because we're going to, I think we're going to enter a lot of kind of legal questions now, particularly as I think we're going to pull out of the, European Convention on Human Rights, I think that is very firmly on the table, Liz, and when she was running uh, to be leader, she confirmed it to the ERG group in one of their hostings that she wanted to pull out. Um, so, yeah, I think we're, we're bordering down a very legal sense of politics right now. So uh, there's certain positions that in cabinet and within the whole of the government um we are very important, a little bit more so than, say, who's home secretary and people like that. Although, home sec, I think Suella Braverman, just to give her a bit of a shout-out. Big fan of Suella. I think I've been a fan of hers for a long time, actually, like quite a long time because she's been one of those people that's just been around. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's just always been part of stuff. I think she's a solid media performer and, um, yeah, I think think that was a smart move to make a home sec as well, but... uh, yeah, like I said, it, the cabinet has got to do something. The government has got to do something. So I am looking forward to the new budget. I think, uh, depending on when this goes out, the kind of mini budget that we're going to have, um, that and really the support the government is going to give, not just to individual people, but also what it's going to do industry-wise as well. Something that has been criminally under talked about, um, um, you know, energy heavy uh, industries like steel manufacturing and stuff like that. No one's talked about them, Mm. hospitality in particular. Um, The local landlord of the pub doesn't live that far away from me, and he's a particularly good friend. And he was saying, like, they get hammered, not on wage bills or anything like that. It's on having the lights turned on all day, every day. Mm -hmm. It's the gas to run the kitchens. You know, he's saying, like, these kind of small things that people don't really think about are just not being discussed. Um, within government, or at least within the kind of national conversation, but that needs to change. But there's a lot that needs to change. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, the Jacoby spoke the you know, obviously he will be energy, industry, and business stuff. So I, I am, I'm actually looking forward to it because just looking at his experience, I know he co-founded or ran a um, a hedge fund, so you, you'd think yeah. you know he would have a good idea on you know things that I this country is doing well or not so well in. So I'm. And he comes across to me as quite a pragmatic person, doesn't really care about too much public opinion. Um, so oh, I, if I, Jacob rees
1: cared about public opinion, Jacob rees wouldn't be Jacob rees <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think it's his great skill is the fact he doesn't really care about public opinion very much. Um, yeah, you are right. His experience does lend into business. I think it's Somerset Finance or something like that. Was, That's the, yeah, so it's something like that. Um, no, like like I said, it's it's it'll be interesting to see how well he does that. But um, yeah, it, it's,
0: it, yeah, it's a fascinating cabinet. You've got um, you know some names that, to be honest, I think uh, the new deputy prime minister and even you know Kit Malthouse. There's some names that I don't think a lot of people would have known about publicly until uh, her recent cabinet. Then you, like I you said, you've got a. Uh, a nice balance of sort of the sort of heavy hitters, the big names. Mm. Um, it, what, what's, if, I, if we could give you the one that you're most excited about in terms of cabinet uh, position, and maybe one that you're least excited about?
1: Yeah, so like I said, the least one, I actually admit, is probably quasi, but okay. I'll, I'll give him time. I'll be fair. You know, he's got gonna, to gonna let him settle in. and I just want to see what he does. What I'm most excited about is to see how Kemi does. Okay. I think this is a big step up for a and I know a lot of people probably listening or, you know, a lot of other Conservatives were really wanted her to be leader. Uh, but for me, my thing was she, she was too early. She didn't really have a big uh, kind of department under her. And I think um, I think she'll do well, I think. But, again, she's got to really get to grips with... Because um, she's a culture, isn't she? So, yeah, I think um, uh, she's got... Oh, think that international where she ended
0: trades, up? ...international trade.
1: Oh, is he, yeah, of course. Apologies, Apologies, of course she has. Uh, she's at international trade. So again, this guy's, again, it's a big, big job international trade. Um, you know, we've got a couple of f- uh, free trade agreements. We've got getting America back to the table is going to be a big challenge. You know, it's, I, and apparently, from the rumors that were flying around, getting someone to be international trade sec was was actually quite difficult.
0: Oh,
1: uh, yeah. yeah, I was really
0: surprised at that because usually it involves a lot of travel. You, you usually get some decent hey. headlines. It would be my favourite, if I could pick, you know, if if you could do that role without being an MP, that would be, like, almost like the dream job. Yeah, like, I, I, yeah, I was really surprised. I was talking to a couple of journalists, and they
1: said um, the ones they were having trouble with was leader of the House and um, international trade sector. Like nobody mm-hmm. wanted them, because I know that they approached the Duncan Smith to be leader of the House, but he turned them squarely down. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, because I, I was like, well, you get to travel the world, you know, flying the flag for Britain. You're always guaranteed headlines the minute you secure one. So it's really easy if you then wanted to be leader the next time around or something, you can point to a solid
0: yeah,
1: kind of record of, of success and stuff like that. I, I was really surprised at that. But, but like I said, maybe it's because, you know, you've got to deal with America. It's a really tense time in international politics. Yeah. You know, it, it might not be as easy as, as, um, as it was in the past, but... Um, yeah, that's, um, I, I get it. I was really surprised, but I get it. It's, I, the, politics is, in Westminster at the minute is kind of still stuck in this in, I, I don't, milieu, for want of a better word. This kind of, don't really know where we are. Everybody's kind of just waiting for something to happen. And it's been stuck like that, I think, really since about January, most of the year, I think. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, an interesting... Run up to the end of the year. I think Parliament. I from what I rem, what's happened today, they're cutting down on recesses. So to get things through, because we've had to stop because of the Queen's death and all the rest of it. And they're cutting down the conference recess as well. Um, and I think they want to cut down Christmas recess and, for a few bits. So like to go further into the year. But um, yeah, politics is going to be back pretty soon. And I think a lot of people will want to get a lot of things moving. It's going to really want to power through. Um, and it needs to as well. It really, really does. There's a lot of things that are hanging in the air um, that a lot of people are relying on happening. And uh,
0: like, this is the big challenge for Liz. What, what What's some of your, if we say uh, from now to end of year predictions, some of the things that you see uh, potentially happening. Uh, I know at the moment uh, that we're recording this, we're, really consumed with the, the Queen uh, passing away and uh, King Charles is you know, um, become the King now but after this sort of period what, what do you see Liz doing and maybe not or maybe not doing?
1: I think it's got to be tackling the cost of living crisis I think we've got to see like I said I think we're, we're getting a mini budget so and wherever, all eyes are on that it's got to be talking about um, bill, energy bill relief I think it's got to be a big big factor um, support for um, energy-heavy industries is going to be a big one. I expect to see a lot of red tape slashing. There's already been some rumors around um, cutting the um, the red tape of bankers' bonuses as well. That's that's going to be a very interesting fight. That that happened uh, just today at the time of recording. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that's going to be a, somewhat of a um, jumping back to a bit of a throwback to bankers' bonuses and you know greedy bankers and all the rest of it. Um, a lot of EU red tape sashing, I think, is going to be on the agenda. Um, Northern Ireland has got to be dealt with that. I think that's going to dominate quite a, quite a lot of the political uh, conversation. Um, but yeah, what I don't see happening, I don't see a lot of movement on support for Ukraine. I think that's going to continue. I think um, kind of reinvigorating the country's interest in Russia, Ukraine, I think is something Liz might really push. Obviously, as former foreign secretary, she was very, very involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, she, and she pushed it quite heavy during the leadership election. So I think that's going to be interesting to see where she goes with that. Um, anything else? No, I, like I said, I think most things will be dominated by cost of living. Uh, it will be the single biggest issue at the next general election. So this is the thing she's got to get right now. Um, I don't really expect to see much in the way of kind of all the other little things that she promised to look into. I don't really see much movement in saying any of the the gender critical stuff, you know, all the woke woke stuff, for want of a better phrase. I think that that might be put on the back burner a little bit. I expect some moves to man slashing the size of government. I know she's looked at um, reducing um, the things to do with uh, junk food. She's already started to scrap some of those rules and some of the stuff to do with the cabinet office and uh, with sorry with the civil service and the what they what they've been getting up to and i, I think she wants to get to grips with that because i think that's going to help uh with the party faithful and help her kind of secure some support uh going into christmas because um let's just say the poll numbers haven't been great for the conservatives um but they seem to be leveling off now they seem to the conservatives seem to be holding from what i've seen over the last few days about Five to six points behind. This kind of massive gap has just completely disappeared. Which mm. any, which anybody who's been around politics for a while knows. Of course, that was going to be. We didn't really have a prime minister. We weren't really
0: yeah.
1: doing anything for two months. So of course, the Labour Party were able to uh, run ahead with it. That, that was just common sense, really. Anybody who was getting excited uh, in the Labour on the left or on the Labour Party about these poll numbers doesn't really know anything about what they were talking about. But um, yeah, like I said. The government has really just got to do something. Like we've had a lot of talk for a long time now, and people are going to start demanding action. And you know, unless they unless they do something, I think Keir Sama can waltz into number 10 um in the next general election whenever that happens to be.
0: Oh <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting. sort of times ahead now. And you know, we've got party conference in a in a in a few weeks' time. So I'm sure we'll get some uh from from liz from from her, her cabinet um and maybe that would be a good actually time for us to catch up again on on, on this we do a post conference uh podcast. yeah
1: definitely yeah well i'll i'll be there I, I was trying to work out how many years i've been going to conference and i i got, I got above 10 and i stopped counting because i felt old so <laughs> <laughs> i've going since i was 19 and i'm 31 now so yeah <laughs> i so uh, an old friend of mine, he calls me a conference veteran, and I was like, there's people who were going there when Thatcher was prime minister. Please <laughs> don't call me a veteran. <laughs> oh, you, but you... it's interesting. Conference will be very interesting, because it'll be the first time we'll have all been together as a political party post-election, post-Boris. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what a lot of the fringe events are about, because I think that um, kind of guides a lot of where the Conservative Party is, is heading. And what the conversation is going to be about. Obviously, like I said, a lot of it is going to be about personal finances and stuff like that. But it's obviously like the other little stuff. I think where the at the last um, conference, I thought green issues, like the environment and climate change, were really front and center in quite a lot of the events. It'd be interesting to see where they fall now in the in the new regime, as it were. Um, but no, conference I, conference will be very interesting this year. I, I have to admit I am looking forward to it. Um, I always do. I, I'm really sad. I call it Tory Glastonbury, but yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but yeah. we have our uh, our flagship event on the Tuesday, six p.m. So yes,
1: you, you're I'll, already in my diary.
0: <laughs> I, I'm pulling it the pre-drinks. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not quite the eight p.m. slot. So it's so the six. Yeah, we have got it. Our, our one at six p.m. But I, I'm likewise. I'm interested to see what the 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 fringe events are going to be about. Um, I I I. I Definitely agree with you in terms of last year, a lot of environmental um events. I, I think CEN seemed to have sponsored every single yeah. thing. Oh, they, were, uh, they were
1: everywhere.
0: So. I actually
1: felt sorry for the people that were working, like for the working those events. It was like, have you guys slept at all? I know it's conference and people don't sleep a lot anyway, but honestly, they 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 didn't stop. And there were some interesting events. Um the one thing I will say about conference is Liz's speech. This is a big moment for Liz Trust. Um, I think because obviously with the death of the Queen, she's kind of lost that little bit of kind of honeymoon period a little bit, you know, Mm. like a bit where she's really got to like speak to the country, not just about the Queen. not You know, this is the bit where she gets to be political and the vision that she's going to set out. I think I'm looking for a direction. I'm looking for a plan. That's one thing I'd really like to see is it's nice to have all these big visions, but I want to know how you're going to get there. And I I have I've big, big expectations of her speech. I think I think she will hit them. She's a very good public speaker. She's got a lot better, I have to mm-hmm. admit. In that first debate, um, oh, I thought she was terrible. Yeah. I had to, like I, she like I thought she was like Maybot. I thought she was Theresa May 2.0 at one point. Mm-hmm. But as she kind of as the um the hustings kind of took over and she got to be a little bit more conversational style, I think I think she's got better,
0: but um, I would definitely yeah. agree with uh, public speaking game better. I uh, same as you, wasn't didn't think it was particularly strong as, uh, at the start, but then I actually she did uh, a husting in uh, where I live in Maidenhead, and yeah. um, she was great. Like she, it was done in Ray Film Studios, and they're currently filming Mamma Mia. And, um yeah, just uh a <laughs> fun fact. Really <laughs> um,
1: that was but, not the movie I thought you were gonna yeah, name. <laughs> yeah.
0: But you know, she she absolutely so she started the event and she was uh, talking about Mama mia She was like, you know, I know Mia is being filmed here and it's about a middle-aged woman fulfilling her lifelong dream. Maybe someone here can relate, like alluding to herself. <laughs> and it was so funny, like she I hadn't really seen her do that sort of thing. Um yeah. and it was so natural, and I was like, oh wow, she's gone leaps and bounds in literally like two, three weeks. Oh yeah um, I don't know whether she went through some kind of coaching
1: or yeah. or what I have to, that would be interesting to find out actually but um yeah from the first debate to where she is now um, I, I, she's the improvement is a hundredfold the one thing I thought she did very well is that the speech she gave outside Downing Street like the day the Queen the queen died I thought she got what's known as the prime minister's voice banged on so the prime minister's voice for those who don't know is is what we refer to as speaking for the for the nation. So it's usually you get it after a terrorist attack, or you get it after a period of mourning. Do you know, when the country is, is in shock and it needs someone to kind of take take the reins and but also show the emotion and to feel what everybody's feeling and all the rest of it. Uh, David Cameron was brilliant at it. Theresa May was very good at it. Boris was was, was all right at it, but um, I think she nailed that first speech brilliantly i have to admit imagine becoming prime minister and the queen dies i mean like literally days after you become prime minister i I, honestly my my sympathies go out to her for what she's had to deal with um but um I, i thought she i thought she nailed that speech just just bang on i was really impressed with it. i was sat with a couple of colleagues and one of them is um he gives public speaking lessons and stuff and he he was singing praises for it um I have to admit, but um, yeah, I can like I said, her speech is really important and it's the first time she really gets to talk as a political prime minister to the country and to the party. But um, yeah, we'll, uh, well, we'll wait and see really, but my expectations are very high.
0: Well, I hope she can live up to it. Um, you know, it's been great having you back on, Peter. I'm sure we'll speak soon, hopefully. We'll do a post-conference podcast, maybe one before. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure I'll see you at our, at our event. And I'm Yeah, fine. definitely. I'll be the
1: drunk one in the corner. <laughs> 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 I'll the drunk one or the guy that's falling asleep because I'll be exhausted. I've, I've got a packed conference schedule this year already. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for
0: having me. It's been great to be back. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, I'll uh, speak to you soon. Speak to you soon.